Hi, I'm Kenna Lenhoff. Hi, I'm Cynthia Sherpet. Welcome to This One Woman. We are a monthly variety show at the Hop Leaf in Chicago. It's the fourth Monday of every month, and for each of our shows, our performers are inspired by a famous woman that was chosen by the audience the month before. This month's Woman of Honor is Josephine, Josephine Baker. Baker. Oh, mister, don't touch me tomatoes, please. Don't you touch me tomatoes. Touch me from me apple potatoes. Goodness sake, don't you touch me tomatoes. Oh, mister, don't touch me tomatoes. Please don't you touch me tomatoes. Touch me from me apple potatoes. Goodness sake, don't you touch me tomatoes. I loved learning about Josephine Baker and probably watched about four documentaries on YouTube regarding her. Ooh, which one do you most recommend? Um, I recommend there's this one, it's either called Incredible Women or Remarkable Women. And then I watched that one, and that one's really good. I don't recommend the um, HBO movie from 1990 or 91, because I feel like it's very much stuck in the 1990s and 91. And the first 40 minutes were all about how disappointed she was with her relationships with men. And I was like, it's got that whole Mm. 90s gloss on it. Which I was like... Who played Josephine in that one? Oh, it was Lynn Whitfield. Oh, okay. And Louis Gossett Jr. is also in this movie. So it was very, like, early 90s. And she won, a t- uh, HP- she won an Emmy for it. So I'm not saying that it's not a good movie. It's just the fact that it seemed very much a movie made in its time period. Right. You know, like how biopics were, like, very much, like, in the 80s and early 90s, very specific in how um, they were made. So... That was the only thing that I noticed. Um, but I also watched a couple of like interviews with her as well and we just kept reading about her. And the one thing I'm a little disappointed about is that we didn't talk enough about how she was a spy during World War II in this show. Oh, well, you know, if we revealed all of that information, it might compromise her spyness. It's true. Her spyness. I like that word. That's what they call it in the... Um Top secret world, right? Spiness. That is. I think that's the top secret word. It's called spiness. Like, you really have a lot of good spiness about you, Bond. Mm -hmm. James Bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like if we ever had a chance to do Josephine Baker again, I would jump on the chance and be like, yep, we'll do her again. You know, she just was pretty impressive. Yeah, Yeah, that would be interesting if we went back to some of the women we've already done But, like, what did we not get to, you know? Because there's always more. Exactly. Maybe, like, a special show. Ooh, let's file that away. I know. File it away. It's in my file cabinet in my brain. And on this podcast that we're saying out loud to everyone. Perfect. It's filed. It's filed. Alphabetically. Our first performer is Lindsay Innit. Lindsay is a storyteller who I've been wanting to have on the show, and I'm so glad that she finally was able to do it. Here's Lindsay. everybody. So one of the first things I learned through my Googling of Josephine Baker was that she had a pet cheetah and that she would walk on a leash down the Champs-Elysees. 
And so this is a short fictionalized imagined monologue in which Josephine Baker's pet cheetah, Chiquita, reflects on life in the spotlight. <laughs> I suppose most of what you know about me these days you've seen from Tumblr. <laughs> or read about me from that one Diana Vreeland anecdote. Oh, Diana, she loved that story about our meeting. Ugh, look at me, 10 seconds in and I'm already name dropping. But I promise I was humbler than I am coming off. My ancestors would take sleepless turns watching the savanna for predators. Everyone had a role in protecting the pack. We cheetahs may give off a regal air, but we are a species that respects toil and order, not like those preening tigers you see on the Vegas Strip. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I was just as shocked and humbled to meet Diana Vreeland as she was to meet me. Of course, I was a fan of her work, and Lord knows Josephine's influence is still all over Vogue today. I wasn't expecting to bump into her at the cinema. Joe had taken me to the cinema for a day out, and it was just so hot in the theater, I couldn't stand it, and I had to leave. And there I go, bumping against the editor of Vogue on my way out, making a rather undignified first impression. You would think, as a cat of the Serengeti, I would be used to hot temperatures, but after years in the back of plush Rolls Royces and strolling down the Champs-Élysées on mild spring days, I had, in some respects, become less cheetah and more house cat. <laughs> Josephine handled it with the utmost grace, as usual, as she did with just about everything in the time that I knew her. Some days, when I read the news, all this business of climate change ruining our habitats and lecherous men in the arts being given second chances and all, I cheer myself up by remembering Diana's shocked expression, the drop of jaws as I leapt into the back of the rolls after that screening, Josephine grinning and waving behind me. I know a part of me relished into leaning into those expectations people had of us, putting on the show, lurking around the orchestra pit, striking fear into the goat and pig Josephine insisted share our dressing room. This is true. <laughs> Do I know whether or not she felt the same? No. When you've been plucked from the savannah to a life of soft hotel beds and luxury cars, you don't think much about how you got there. You try pondering the problematic politics of exoticism and fame after a seven-course Parisian meal. Or, I guess I didn't, until that day in the cinema. Do you remember what it was like to see yourself on a screen, looking at yourself the way other people, or big cats, see you for the first time? I think Josephine knew how that felt, that effect she had had on people her entire career, and wanted to give that same feeling to me a little. Or maybe she just wanted to be seen with me, loudly, in public. I was used to the snap of heads along the shams, the light catching my diamond collar, the squeal of delight from the theater goers as the lights went up to reveal us together during her act. Our act. <laughs> we saw Latlantide that day, as Diana, I'm sure, told you. Brigitte Helm as the mysterious, man-destroying queen of Atlantis, flanked by cheetahs that could have easily been my cousins. A reminder of her mystery and savagery. Primal props. I saw them the way I imagined the theater goers saw me, and likely saw Josephine as well, a symbol of the exotic, the regal, the mysterious, somewhat at once their entitlement and unconquerable. After all, as you've probably read at the Victoria and Albert, all about how our introduction was Henry Varna's idea about how he wanted to accentuate the grace and exoticism, the elegance and indomitable spirit, the way he knew most of his crowds at the Casino de Paris perceived Josephine. 
I always wanted to ask her about how she felt about all this, if she ever found our caricaturing off-putting or minimizing, but every time I would start to say something, she would just scratch the back of my ear in this one way that made the rest of the world go quiet. <laughs> it wasn't just Diana, either. Pablo Picasso called her Nefertiti, goddess and queen, all slobbering words. I could, feel the I could smell the sweat on his palms the first time we met him. I wanted to hiss at him, but I thought better of it, not just in Josephine's defense, but because I thought he wasn't pushing himself as enough as an artist. <laughs> I still liked him more than Hemingway, just another leery, boozy MFA student who was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> There I go, name-dropping again. <laughs> you probably think I'm horrifically tacky. I mean, what is cheetah print now if not the universal symbol of kitsch, the hallmark of Fran Drescher and Scary Spice? Not exactly the glamour of the Art Deco years, but no matter. Sometimes I worry about being all people see of Miss Baker. Our legacy together is still strung all over the place, Art Nouveau prints on many a Manhattanite's walls, Photographs strung together strung on some dreamy Pinterest vision board. I saw myself as a cartoon in something called Anastasia and had to wonder, was I really that fat? And I'm sure I haven't helped with all my raconteuring and name dropping and enjoyment of wearing a diamond choker. But there was also Josephine the resistance fighter, the civil rights advocate, the multi-genre, multi-generational performer, the Beyonce of her day, according to some academic whoever named Darren Royston. <laughs> she cannot be summed up in one image or charming anecdote from a Vogue editor, just as those movie cheetahs with Brigitte Helm cannot be accurate stand-ins for me. And of course, I've gone on name-dropping and relishing in these anecdotes, and I realize this may be a bit uncouth of me, as there is far more to her than the slice of her career where we shared the stage and the back of a luxury car. But boy, I do miss those ear scratches. Next, we'll hear from Molly Rafferty. Molly is a wonderful performer, and she wrote a beautiful poem that taught us all a lot about Josephine Baker. Welcome to your ears, Molly Rafferty. Um, okay, great. So this is a, a, a brief poem um, about how Josephine Baker is just a lot cooler than me. Um, and I think if you did any of the Wikipedia searching that I did, you would feel the same way. It makes you really feel bad about yourself. <laughs> okay. Here we go. After much research, it's plain to see that Josephine Baker is much cooler than me. She was married and divorced by the age of 13. I was Mrs. DiCaprio at night in my dreams. <laughs> she danced for coins on the street, just trying to make it day by day. And that's where she was discovered and put on Broadway. At my first job, I flooded the Barnes & Noble Cafe. <laughs> My mom called and quit for me the very next day. I have to buy books somewhere else to this day. At 19, she moved to France. Dancer, singer, actress, a sexy triple threat. I moved to Chicago to professionally smoke cigarettes. She became known for her skimpy banana skirt. I became known for a disinterested smirk. After much research, much research it's plain to see that Josephine Baker is much cooler than me. She had a cheetah named Chiquita that she kept as a pet. I have an incontinent beagle that keeps my floors wet. <laughs> That's true. She was called the most sensational woman by Ernest Hemingway. I was called sir at the store yesterday. 
She dated a sultry blues singer nicknamed Queen of the Moners. I dated a street musician, king of untimely boners. <laughs> she sipped champagne with Grace Kelly and vaudeville comedians. I send late night dog videos to all two of my friends. <laughs> After much research, it's plain to see that Josephine Baker is much cooler than me. When World War II broke out, she served as an honorary French spy. I worked in Wrigleyville serving sushi and pad thai. <laughs> She'd cozy up to colonels that came to watch her shows. I presented sake bombs to endless flocks of bros. <laughs> her sheet music contained hidden messages for the military. I drank my way through art school and graduated just barely. After the war, the French government gave her the Croix de Guerre. I had to buy a kimono, which I was required to wear. Also true. Later, when she returned to the States, she was shocked by what she saw. The entertainment industry was not spared by Jim Crow laws. She refused to perform for segregated crowds, turning down paychecks wherever this was allowed. After much research, it's plain to see that Josephine Baker is much cooler than me. In 1951, she was named NAACP's Woman of the Year. I was named Botox candidate by my own bathroom mirror. <laughs> At the March on Washington, alongside Dr. King, she spoke. I watch Insecure and think I can say things like woke. <laughs> With her fourth husband, she adopted 12 children of different races. When I babysit, I take Adderall and Valium just to cover my bases. <laughs> She wanted to prove all children could get along, that racial conflict was more nurture than nature. And because she didn't kill them or herself, I think we ought to congratulate her. <laughs> Miss Baker accomplished much before her death in 1975. Guess I've got work to do while I'm still alive. I've got a long road ahead. You know, I think it'd be so easy, though, to just say fuck it and binge watch The Great British Baking Show. <laughs> so after hearing this poem, I hope it's plain to see that Josephine Baker is much cooler than me. Thank you. Stay tuned for more from This One Woman. Hi, I'm Neil Arsenti, producer of the podcast version of This One Woman. If you're enjoying this, come and see the show live and for free every fourth Monday of the month at Hopleaf, 5148 North Clark Street in Chicago. For more information, Check out the website at thisonewoman.net or like us on Facebook. And now, back to the podcast. Cynthia, what's the most Portland thing you've done since we last talked? Well, this isn't something I actively did so much as something I saw that I thought was very Portland. I was driving to work and next to me on the road, do you know what I saw? A Prius with racing stripes. I thought that was very Portland. A Prius with racing stripes? That's right. That seems pretty Portland. Right? I wonder how many drag races they've won in that Prius. I, w I don't even know. 
<laughs> I have no idea. Hey, but you've also done something pretty exciting with your husband. Tell us about it. Yes, we're going to be homeowners. Dun, 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 dun. That was my homeowning song. Ooh, I like your homeowner song. Thank you. Good for you. I love it. Yeah, we're adulting really hard over here, and we will be homeowners in January. We're very excited. It's a very exciting thing to do. And what's new with you? What's the most Chicago thing you've done lately? Well, I think Monday will be the most Chicago thing I've done lately, is I'm going to protest a parking ticket. (laughs) Oh, very Chicago. Mm-hmm. So today I took photos again um, during the day of where I parked to show that there wasn't clear signs to bring with me along with the signs I had taken at night when I had parked in this location. So I'm going to like hope that I can beat this ticket and let you know. But besides that, last night I performed at the Kate's December show. Oh, we love the Kate's. Exactly. And if people who know Cynthia and I know that um, we decided to put a show together after hanging out at a Field Notes party and then doing the Kate's December show. That's right. Three Was that two years ago or three years ago? That was, oh, some many years ago. Who can even count time? It doesn't matter. We're toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, still pretty new. But it was the fact that um, the Kate's is a comedy showcase that features all females at the bookseller in Lincoln Square. And to me, it's probably one of the best comedy showcases you can see in Chicago. And it's an honor to always be asked to be in it. Yeah, they're awesome. And their website is thecates.org, T-H-E-K-A-T-E-S dot O-R-G. You can learn there where you can see them live. And I think some of the Cates have some podcasting going on as well so happy to give them a shout out yeah so definitely check them out um there's a lot of good shows that you could check out too like i'm going to be doing filet solo in january with serving the sentence and also we have um the um, sketch fest coming up in january which i'm also doing nice and then a couple i know so there's a lot of things you can see and do in chicago and in portland i don't want to leave out portland i know portland has a lot more things besides priuses with racing stripes That's true. I do also have performances going on. I think I'll be doing some storytelling in January or February. So, yeah, I'll let you know the details of that as I know more. Awesome. Thank you, Cynthia. You are so welcome, Kenna. Guess who this next performer is? Neil Arsenti is doing a character piece. Can I believe what I'm hearing? Is it our producer, Neil Arsenti? Yes, it's our producer, Mr. Neil Arsenti. What a multi-talented guy. So talented, that Neil Arsenti. Okay, guys, that's enough. All right. <laughs> that's enough. Here's your money. <laughs> like, you, can you did a good job. Um, <laughs> Neil, what can we expect? Yeah, so uh, my performance was based on um, I was I was uh, researching her on Wikipedia, like you do. Yeah, and uh, I saw the sentence. Okay, her costume, consisting only of a girdle of artificial bananas, 
became her most iconic image and a symbol of the jazz age and the 1920s. And I thought it was such a interesting sentence. Yeah. And it inspired me to write this character piece. Okay. Here's Neil. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay. Good evening. My name is Reginald Rees Darby, St. James III. And when I was hired by the Foley Beaugier as the costumier for the divine Miss Josephine Baker, my excitement could not be measured by any scientific means yet available in the mid-1920s. I wasn't excited simply for the opportunity to work with an icon such as Miss Baker. After all, she was not known for wearing extravagant outfits. Rather, she was known for her tantalizing erotic pageantry and complete lack of outfits therein. I had a completely clean slate. <laughs> However, surprisingly, or by surprisingly, of course, I mean unsurprisingly, designing an ensemble would not be an easy task. After all, as I mentioned, the hordes did not flock to see the Black Pearl to admire her attire. I knew that I had to design something that would say, I am wearing something right now and cause the audience to reply, yeah, but are you though? <laughs> but where to start? With her choice of metite, of course, there were concerns over her treatment by the rambunctious rabble-rousers watching her do her thing. Um, that concern stirred my imagination. If Miss Baker is concerned about being treated like a piece of meat, I mused, what better idea than to literally turn her into a piece of meat? The original costume, which involved the Creole goddess fitting into a five-foot-tall and large T-bone steak, garnished with paprika and garlic powder, was perhaps a bit too impractical. Additionally, additionally despite being a simple idea, it took Ms. Baker an average of 20 minutes to don the steak and an oddly twice as long to remove, uh, testing the patience of the onlookers. I will say, however, none could make this medium rare tease more alluring than Ms. Baker. <laughs> you should have seen it. Uh, so I went back to the drawing board. I still loved using food, and by God, if I couldn't use meats, I was determined to at least keep this to edibles. As an inspiration for the siren in her den of sin, I went back to the story of original sin. Adam and Eve, the original sinners, ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I said to myself, let's do fruit. Fruit on a girdle. <laughs> of course, at first I went with apples. Surprisingly, and by surprisingly, of course, I mean unsurprisingly, this tact presented a number of issues as well, the biggest of which was bruising. Bruising on the apples themselves from improper storage, bruising on Miss Baker herself, and perhaps worst of all, bruising of my ego when I could not pull off this look for her. The, the round shape also impeded movement, but apples, oranges, cherries, plums, pears, melons, grapes, berries, to my knowledge, all fruits were either spherically round or oddly roundish. So the dilemma proved particularly stressful, so I decided I needed a vacation. As one does, and as I did, I took a quick three-month steamship to Ecuador 
to clear my mind. There I came upon a plantation of scandalous crop of produce known as a banana. Oh, despite his lack of juice, it qualified as a fruit. It also had the most peculiar phallic shape. But this was it. This was, this was the fruit for my black Venus. I told the farmer, I'll take a bushel or a peck or listen, I just want a large quantity. <laughs> I brought them back to Miss Baker, and she lit up. She looked at me with those big, beautiful eyes of hers and said, Reggie, I love everything about these, the size, the texture, and my, the shape. I, I laughed. I said, I know, right? <laughs> There's just one thing, she explained. Can you make them fake? I was a little bit taken aback by the request. Nothing was artificial about the woman herself. So to introduce something artificial into her act seemed unseemly. I trusted her instinct. For you, Pearl Noir, anything. And of course, she was absolutely right. The girdle with artificial bananas became her most iconic image and a symbol of the Jazz Age and the 1920s. Of course, I was left with an interminable amount of unopened bananas. <laughs> but you know what? They taste surprisingly good. <laughs> and by surprisingly, of course, I mean unsurprisingly. Thank you very much. Our last performer is Marla Kakaris. Marla is a writer-performer who works and lives in Chicago. You could see her every Friday night at the I.O. Theater and World News Tonight. Here's Marla. Yeah, me up. Um... So in my research of uh, Josephine Baker, as I was reading about what a freaking incredible woman she was, uh, I kept thinking about an incredible woman that I know, and talk about feeling uncool, I'm related to this woman and I will <laughs> never measure up, um, but she is my aunt, my dad's uh, half-sister actually, so she's my half-aunt, but she is Cuban-born theater and soap opera actress who made most of her career in Venezuela, and her name is Gladys Gáceres. Um, I can, I'm gonna tell you her whole career, but I want to talk about her first with the context of the fact that she's currently 93 years old and still performing, and still doing plays. And to give you a visual aid, this is her Facebook profile photo. I don't know if you guys can see it, but she is in her late 80s when she took this photo. Uh, for those of you listening at home, she's doing this like, she's in like full dance gear, she's got ballet slippers on, and she's like bending her knee so it's touching her cheek as she's uh, re uh, like relaxed on the, on the ground. Um, she is so badass that she, about two years ago, had a complete hip replacement surgery and had been rehearsing a show, went home, recovered for like a day or two, and then went and did her show. <laughs> and my dad was like, Gladys, what are you doing? That's how my dad talks. Uh, he's the most interesting man in the world, except not that interesting. But anyway, <laughs> Gladys, why are you doing this? Why are you not at home recovering? And she's like, I cannot not do the show. My other option is to just stay home alone and be by myself. 
So she did this play, she did the full run. She had to be seated for most of it, but she did have a part where she had to like stand up. So here's this like 93 year old woman with a recent hip replacement surgery actually doing a full two act play, which involves some movement, which is just crazy. Um, the other show my parents recently saw her do was performed in a shipping container, which they do this in Miami now. They do all these like one act plays in shipping containers. It's like this cool trendy thing. Uh, but this 90 something year old woman did the vagina monologues, which is incredible. Uh, so she was born in uh, Santiago, de, de, Santiago de Cuba. So it's hard to like flip back and forth between both languages. Uh, but it's a city in Cuba that is on the southeast. But uh, legend has it that she was walking around Havana, which is more well known, and that's on the northeast side of the island where she had moved to in her early 20s. And she was so beautiful and had such an incredible presence that a producer saw her and was like, I need to put you in a show. And that is literally what started her theater career in Venezuela, where she did uh, a lot of comedy and she started her soap opera career. And I just want to read you some of the soap operas that she was in. One is called Sacrificio de Mujer, which means the sacrifice of woman. Uh, another one was called Bienvenida Esperanza, or Welcome Esperanza. And another one called Maria Maria, which sounds like a Seinfeld uh, title of a fake movie. But she was in over 200 episodes of that, of that particular soap opera. She, like Josephine, she made another country her home. She was in Venezuela for decades where she made her career, where she had her child but she had to leave because it's pretty unstable and kind of awful there, as you, as you may have seen in the news and stuff. So she moved to Miami in the late 90s, and that's when I met her. And like Josephine Baker, she reinvented herself, which is incredible. She's in her freaking 70s in Miami, not booking that much work, so she decides to take nursing classes in her 70s, learns about healthcare, and becomes a personal trainer, like a fitness trainer for senior citizens, which explains this. Um, <laughs> And for, for a long time, her Facebook posts would have a Facebook signature that would say her name and her contact info and personal trainer, <laughs> which is so amazing. Um, that's, again, when I met her in the 90s, and, and I was home from college, and I had just started doing improv in college, which was not, to me, very like a serious you know, theatrical thing, but she still heard from my parents that I was doing that. And I remember her seeing her from behind for the first time, and she's like this tiny, shapely woman, at this point in her early 80s, late 70s, uh, she turns around, hugs me, grabs me by the cheeks, and just goes, me alegro tanto que otra persona de la familia está en el teatro. <laughs> Which was, I am so happy there's another person in the family in the theater. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing short form improv games in bars. <laughs> like, it's not so amazing, but it's still kind of filled me with a lot of like, oh, I have to like follow through on a lot of this. Um, so again, now she's in her 90s. She's still doing theater. She's the one of the fittest people I've, I've ever met. Her son is a motivational speaker, which is a little weird. But he actually uses her as like an aide. Like she brings her up on the stage, talks about her. And she picks up her leg and moves it and like can lift it all the way up so that her ankle is like, like a bat, I don't know, what do you call that? She does that thing, <laughs> right? So that her ankle's like by her ear. In her early 90s, pre-hip replacement, she could do that. So I, I wanted to talk to her about her again because it's, the more I read about Josephine, it's, we're on a first name basis, it's, 
so you know, hard being a woman and a mother and a woman of color in her time. And I just kept making these parallels to my aunt, who's a mother and a woman and a woman of color. And to be a performer and just keep doing it, even though it's a life and a career that just beats you down constantly, on top of all those other things. And it's, she's, my aunt has just inspired me, even though I don't, we don't have a very close relationship because I'm so far away. But like, when I get up, when I get like, when I lose steam, I think about everything that she keeps doing. And I wanted to end with a quote that she had in an article about a recent play where she played Betty Davis. <laughs> and the quote was, Seguiré haciendo teatro hasta que, me, hasta que Dios me diga basta. I'm going to keep doing theater until, until God tells me, stop. <laughs> uh, so like Josephine, she performed until her last day. And I hope she still has a lot more last days to come. Thank you. Well, this has been really fun, Cynthia. I hope you have a good holiday. Yeah, you too. Happy, happy holidays. Thank you. So in January, we are going to be doing Meryl Streep. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. I know. She won our award winners category. Mm, I'm going to have to rewatch all of her movies to be prepared. Exactly. All of them. Every single one. Because I'm sure she's got, you know... How many are there? Oh, I'm sure just a few. I know. I mean, it's like she's very picky in her roles. But have you ever seen Heartburn? I really liked that one. I just saw that this summer for the first time. I don't think so. What's that one about? It's um, Nora Ephron wrote it about when she was divorcing. Um, Was she married to Bernstein or Woodward? I can't remember which one she was married to. Oh, I didn't realize she was um, married to either one of them. Yeah, so it's that one was it was good. There's like a really good like Carly Simon song in it, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, from nice. The, I mean, it's late 70s and stuff like that. But anyway, I'm excited to do Meryl Streep. Yeah, that'll be really fun. I just realized we didn't thank my co-host for December. My co-host was Jess Ring, who's a really good friend of mine and told a really funny story that maybe... You can ask her about. Right. Just find her, corner her, ask her, what did you say about Josephine Baker? Exactly. Said, I heard you have a funny story or just be like, or go up to her and just start whispering in her ear. That's not creepy at all. And she'd be like, what? Why are you whispering? Kenna told me to whisper at you. And she's like, (laughs) when did Kenna tell you that? On the podcast. Anyway, this is really fun. I look forward to talking to you again next month, Cynthia. Or we could talk sooner. We don't have to just talk Yeah, monthly. no, it's true. It's true. We could even text each other. Next time we um, record, you're probably going to be moved into your new house. Right? Maybe I'll have to decorate a little podcast studio first thing. <gasps> you, should do- you should definitely have a podcast studio first thing. Yeah, who needs, you know, a kitchen or a bathroom? Bathroom more than kitchen is my guess. Well, happy holidays, Ken and Cynthia. And happy holidays to you too, Mr. Neil Arsenti. Yes, happy holidays, Neil Arsenti. And a happy new year. We'll talk to you guys again next month. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes and wherever else you can subscribe to on podcasts. Sounds good to me. Happy holidays and thank you for listening.
This One Woman was created and produced by Kenna Linoff and Cynthia Scherpetz, who also hosted and wrote this podcast. Music for This One Woman podcast was written and performed by John Steinmeier. The This One Woman podcast was produced by myself, Neil Arsenti. We'll see you next month.